Beyond, and hello everyone, my name is Jonathan Dornbush, and this is Podcast Beyond, IGN's weekly PlayStation show covering all the latest and greatest in the world of PlayStation, and we have a lot to discuss this week, so without further ado, I'm joined this week by Mark Medina. Happy Nintendo Direct Day, no, Dornbush. Mark, Happy Nintendo <laughs> Direct Day yeah. to us all! You know we can't say those words on this show. Too late. <laughs> Shuhei is going to be so upset. We're also mm-hmm. joined this week by Jada Griffin. Hello, hello. Happy Black History Month, y'all. I approve of that one. Mark, you get off the show. (laughs) (laughs) And we're also joined this week by Mitchell Saltzman. Hello, hello. Happy Sifu launch window week, two weeks. How long has it been since that game has come out? It's It's been a day. It came out yesterday. (laughs) It's been a day. Oh, does it? Okay, well... (laughs) Which was like, I've had it for two weeks, so I just... (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're going to be talking about Sifu on the show for sure, but we've also got some other stuff to talk about in the world of PlayStation, including a whole bunch of news that we're going to run down, uh, catching up on some news from last week, some stuff this week, and of course, uh, some Sifu impressions for those out there who haven't yet jumped in or thinking about it, and uh, or those maybe who are better at it than probably I am, which is, spoilers, (laughs) probably most of this panel. Uh, But before we get there, I do want to mention... excuse me, that if you're looking forward to it, you should be. But if you're not aware, IGN is hosting FanFest yet again uh, this month on February 19th at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific time. So uh, if you're playing Horizon Forbidden West that weekend, because I think it'll be out by then, take a few hours off. Come watch our awesome FanFest. A lot of people have been putting a lot of time and effort into bringing you a ton of new uh, exclusives, some really cool interviews, uh, a whole bunch of stuff. There are details up on IGN that you can go check out. Uh, go go learn what you can look forward to. But yeah, you should go definitely check Check that out, because uh, a lot of stuff, including uh, Brian Altano, has been working a lot behind the scenes to make that all happen. So so go check that out when it happens in just a few weeks. But um, other than that, I don't think there's any housekeeping. We are going to mention, of course, later in the show, the Ghostwire Tokyo and, and Gran Turismo 7 uh, showcases that happened last week. But first, I want to talk about a game that we are playing and that we can talk about, and that is currently available for everyone, and that's Sifu. Uh, Sifu came out... As we were saying earlier this week, uh, there wasn't a sort of early access period, but also it's now available widely, both on PS4 and PS5. Uh, Mitchell, you reviewed it for IGN, of course, and uh, a few of us on, on this panel have been playing it. What were your thoughts? Oh, man. Uh, I love Sifu. <laughs> uh, this game is awesome. Um, you know, it, it is one of those those things where this this game is tough, like straight up. I think I think people need to know that going in that uh, you're going to get frustrated. Uh, I literally opened the review with a, uh, you know, my ki- my mic was on while I was playing a boss, and I just shout, like, damn it! Uh, because I could not beat the, the second boss for a very long time, and it's one of those things where it's not just enough to, to beat the boss. You have to beat the boss in such a way that allows you to... to Go into the next level with enough of a lifespan to to give yourself a shot to actually beat the rest of the game. Um, but you know, on the other end of that really brutal difficulty is just like the immense satisfaction of getting through a level that you initially thought was like almost impossible and doing so like you know with only dying once or twice, um, and nothing really changed other than, other than the fact that you just got better at the game. You, there, there's definitely skills that you can get that uh, you know give you some situational advantages, but it's not like you're increasing your your life every time you die. You're not increasing. You're not 
giving getting a dramatic increase in power every time you die. There is a thing where every time you age ten years, you you get more power, but you lose uh, health. So there is, it is kind of balanced. But you know, ultimately, what's happening is that you're just learning how to play the game better. And so it's just like a really powerful feeling of accomplishment when you're able to get through stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I, I love this game. I don't think it's going to be for everyone. Um, <laughs> but I think if it is for you, you're in for a treat. Yeah, it's I speaking of that second boss, that is where I continue to be stuck at because boy, am I having problems with that boss. But yeah, it's a it, it is definitely I think <clears throat> you're totally right is a, a game that I've noticed over time myself improving at, but it is also still very unforgiving and very taxing and like you really need to learn to use kind of every bit of it. Otherwise, you're going to kind of fall flat on your face pretty often. Um, were were there any sort of, uh, and I do want to get to Jade, I know you've been playing a bit as well. Uh, mm-hmm. but were there any sort of like things you, you felt about the overall experience though, that like you, you really hoped could maybe be tweaked like post launch or, or was there anything about it in terms of like the learning curve that really struck uh, you or like things you want to let people know who may be going in thinking they might be able to handle this. And at least for me has not been the case. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's tough. Um, it, it, I think, I don't think it would have hurt for them to add a couple of different, uh, you know, a couple of different modes to to the the difficulty. Even if it's not like a straight up easy mode or or, or anything like that or a story mode, um, there are things that could definitely be easier, more more easily uh, communicated to the to the player. Uh, for example, Batman Arkham. The, the Batman Arkham games, what they do is they they have like a little lightning bolt or whatever that, that pops up every time an enemy is about to attack. Sifu does not telegraph its attacks in any sort of way. Yeah. Um, the only telegraph that you get is like the windup that, that an enemy will will you know naturally do when they're about to hit you. Um, so I think if they were to add some sort of mode and they don't want to, you know, they don't want to compromise that super difficult, uh, you know, master... You know the the thing of you mastering combat and having to basically perfect a level. One thing I think that they could do is do a little bit of a better job of telegraphing uh, attacks. But ultimately, you know, I, I I feel like I was able to to pick up on on the tells through experience, and I didn't really need that. Um, which is I think what they were going for. They wanted to make sure that you you play a level to the point where you know exactly what enemies can do. You know how to avoid, uh, you know, pretty much every hit and the times that you're getting hit are the times that you're losing focus. Um, so yeah, I think, I think they could definitely do a couple things to make it uh, a little easier and get more people to, to have a better time with it. Um, but it's a game too, too hard. I personally don't think so. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I certainly am glad you were the one that handled this review, uh, just with your experience in genres like this, and I think everything it brings together. I was really looking forward to what you were hearing about it, and if people haven't read or watched your review, they absolutely should, because it's a phenomenal one. Um, but yeah, I, I'm really enjoying it. I, I It is a slower learning process for me, I would say, and some visual cues like that I think would be helpful, but I'm, I'm working around that. I do think on like an accessibility level, that's probably just a great thing to add in at some point for people to to help them with things. But yeah, there is it, it really, really wants you to learn to use every bit of the techniques that you have, not just the stuff you acquire along the way, but also just sort of your base mechanics. Because like if you just try to go in and just do heavy and light attacks like 
you know, button match your way through, you will just get demolished. So no, it's, like, it's specifically designed so that you cannot do that. Yeah. Um, um, enemies, enemies will, will just dot. They, you can't even like do regular combos against enemies for the most part. They will, yeah. they will block and dodge after the first two hits of pretty much every combo, unless you stun them or parry them. So yeah, it's, it's very intentionally designed so that you can't just get through this game and just mash a button to, uh, to, you know, get through. Yeah. Now, uh, not to put you both on the spot, but I do think currently mm-hmm. we are blessed with the fact that we have two of the best, uh, best just gamers at IGN, if I'm being frank. Oh, thank uh, you, Dornbush. You're Thanks. welcome. Both of them. Yeah, no, of course. It's it's the Medina household, both you and Amanda, of course. It's just an honor to be in his presence sometimes. I know. Yeah. I, know. I appreciate I'm just that. Like, I appreciate that. You, you didn't have to say that. but You didn't even let have me Have you finish. seen this man play Mario 64? I was going to say, we have two of the best gamers at IGN, one of the best speedrunners, probably specifically of Mario 64, but potentially of other games I'm not aware of, and then you also have me. So... I want to hear from everyone about their play experiences, but Mark, I do want to throw to you to ask Jada because I know you wanted to be able to to hear. <laughs> Jada, all right. So we we were talking yesterday in our Beyond Planning meeting, and Jada was saying, "I want to try to beat it tonight. Today, this is my last thing I'm doing, and then I'm going to try to beat the game." And she told Mitchell where she was, and Mitchell responded with, "Jada, you have quite the uphill battle ahead of you. <laughs> I would be." I will respect if you beat it, but I will not be surprised if you don't. Jada, what what are I... what's the results? Playing fast and loose my, with my words, but <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, so... I didn't write it down. <laughs> <laughs> so when we talked yesterday, I think I had finished the second stage and I'd gone into the third stage, and I was like 57 years old, which is pretty darn old. Seeing as how once you hit 70, you can't respawn anymore. And that's basically game over once you die. Um, I ended up going back through and redoing the second stage and finishing it by 33, which is 24 years less of uh, getting my my face kicked in by Sean. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And I did manage to finish the third stage uh, pretty easily, actually. That third boss, Mitchell was like, you're going to have a like the third boss is worse than Sean. I actually thought, I think her name's Kuroki, if I remember right. Kuroki, yeah. Uh, uh-huh. She was way easier for me than Sean. Like, That's crazy I, to me. <laughs> I, just, I, don't, I think it's just because I, I'm really used to the whole, like, she has a three-section bladed staff. Mm-hmm. And that's, like, one of my favorite martial arts weapons. So I kind of knew what to expect going into that fight. Um, and so I just kind of, I just had that timing and stuff perfectly down for her like she was not an issue i actually finished her on my first try without dying but my game soft locked which i uploaded to twitter i went and i uh for some reason like it gave me so normally when you get to a boss when you beat them they have two stages when you knock when you either stun them the first time and you could do a finisher or you drain their health meter all the way the first time it plays a cutscene and goes into a second part i i went and trip kicked her and then I did an execution on her on the ground, and yeah. the trophy dinged. Like, congratulations, you beat her, but <laughs> nothing happened, and so I was just stuck in the arena. So I had to end up quitting out and replaying through the whole stage. Oh, the no. good news is, I at least by beating her, I got like the elevator key, so I was able to skip right back to her on my next playthrough. So it was like nice. a lot faster. Mm. Um, yeah, that's yeah, that's I, one of the best things about that boss. Is that yes. I, I think I think the developers in, like anticipate that people are going to be struggling with that boss, so they make the run back to her really, really easy. 
I, that mm. that yeah. is a cool thing that I've appreciated about the level design. For those who don't know, it's like Sifu is made up of uh, there's uh, forgive me uh, the exact number, but like five or six, a, a handful of bigger levels that you're playing through, and then the That's boss fine. at the end of thank you, uh, a boss at the end of each of them, and uh, you will you, like you can explore. There's a there's a light bit of you know collecting some items in the world. Some of them are just lore. Some give you like grounding for why you're at this location or or the, why this character is more important to your character's journey and whatnot. But there are things that will create shortcuts for you and, and open up bits of the world. So that that helps on return runs because as I think Jada and Mitchell have both kind of said, you'll be returning through levels a lot. You're not just going to be able to beat each level on a first go unless you're a god, I assume. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it's uh, super helpful having those shortcuts and like they're like you'll get like you'll find like keys or uh, key cards on people. So it's like not a mechanic that's un you know, seen in games and stuff like that. But the the way they use it is a, a great way of just kind of reducing some of the stress of, you know, like, hey, I just need to practice against this boss. I don't want to have to fight through this 30-minute level just to get there and die one time because I died a bunch of times during the level and I'm 65 going into this mm-hmm. boss. Like, cool, I have a 33 starting point. Let me just go fight this boss, learn the patterns. Then I can go do a full run through the stage, get all the the shrines to upgrade certain like aspects of your character. Um, And that's actually something I wanted to ask you, Mitchell, what, like what would be some of the skills that you would recommend to people who are maybe just picking it up? Like me personally, like I started with like weapon durability because a, you have to get that by the, you can't get that upgrade after you turn 25 or after 25, once you get 26, you can't get that upgrade anymore. So it locks out certain upgrades based on your age. Um, and there's so weapons are so valuable in this game. Like it's crazy how valuable um, weapons are in this uh, game. Oh yeah. What are some ones you recommend? Uh, it's funny. I'm <laughs> I'm working on a video for this very topic. Um, oh sweet. Uh, but yeah, I would say the number one most important thing that you need to get is environmental mastery. That's the one that lets mm. you throw bottles mm-hmm. up right from the ground. You can kick ottomans at people. You get you get like a, a scope. You get a, a new set of skills that you just don't get otherwise. And I think it's the only skill that, that lets you actually do that. Um, another one, the move that uh, just came on screen, uh, it's a it's a ground takedown. So when you get knocked to the ground, you can act, or it's a ground counter. So you get knocked to the ground, and if someone hits tries to hit you when you're on the ground, you can actually block that and uh, knock them to the ground. Um, That's super important, actually, in the Sean battle, because what Sean does in his second phase is that he adds a sweep, which is, like, usually you can beat Sean by just just dodging uh, your head, by just moving your head. Um, But in the second phase, he does a sweep, and if you have the ground counter, when he sweeps you, you can just take that and basically get an even trade of life against him. Um, so it's super, super, super helpful. Um, and he sweeps a lot in that he sweeps phase. a lot, yeah. <laughs> like, constantly. This I'm not man even... is trying to sweep up the entire the entire fire that's in the building, <laughs> just trying to get rid of it. Uh, I'm not even... Yeah, I'm, I'm so far away from beating him, so uh, that is good to know, though. But yeah, I, I think, like, Jada, to your point about, like, weapons being essential, it, it is a thing that if you're jumping in, just pick up weapons every time, like, after a fight finishes, just so you can be prepared with one in the next fight, because usually you can carry them with you. Uh, there are some mm-hmm. exceptions in the game, but, like, yeah, it is so helpful to go armed with a bat or a metal pipe or even 
even just a, a glass bottle to get an extra throw and stun an enemy in. Like, it can make all the difference when you start out. Um, and, and then the one more uh, skill that I would say people should get is the Raining Strikes, which is mm-hmm. uh, the, like, uh, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, like, just you punch really fast. Yep. <laughs> um, that that moves really good because it's it kind of just goes it serves as like a go to punish it just does a lot of damage if they block it, it does a lot of structure damage so uh, it's it's your go to move if you dodge a move or you parry a move um, to get a bunch of damage on someone. I what? haven't had uh, I haven't heard a Mitchell anime sound in a while so today, <laughs> today's a good day. <laughs> <laughs> We need at least one sound bite every every Mitchell appearance together. It's, it's always it's always a treat. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate you doing essentially free voice work for us, Mitchell. Thank you. Uh, um, you guys well, should listen to me while I was playing this game. <laughs> I was I was actually gonna ask, that was gonna be one of my questions, was like, how did that come to be? Were you just like recording yourself being pissed off? <laughs> <laughs> well what what I do is sometimes is I, I record OBS uh, when I'm when I'm you know recording for, for a review. And sometimes I forget to unclick the uh, the mic um, mm-hmm. or to mute the mic, and so it, it it has like my actual like you know legit mic audio when I'm playing a game. Uh, <laughs> it worked really well for my Mario Party review too. <laughs> oh, it's so happy accidents, really. <laughs> it's funny. This game seems. I, I, I know it's such a tired trope to compare games to to Souls games, but like. This game, in, in a lot of ways, seems so much like a Dark Souls game in the sense of like the uncompromising difficulty. But that the like I'm really I, I when Mitchell said that a few accessibility options is what could change the name for this game. That's kind of how I've always felt about Dark Souls. Like most people think Dark Souls easy mode, and I'm like, no, Dark Souls add a map mode or Dark Souls, <laughs> you know, just like telegraph things better and that's kind of how it seems with this is like for the people who want this insane challenge you know it it feels like a real fight actually having to look at what their arms and legs are stuff like that are doing but uh yeah i don't know i and then also the the whole like getting back to bosses easier is like such a like dark souls thing to me is like getting there and then knowing that you're gonna have to do that boss run over and over and developers kind of throwing you a bone and being like, we're going to make it a little bit easier for you. Um, it seems super cool, but man, yeah. it, it seems very hard. <laughs> well, and, and there is, as, as uh, Jada, I think you had pointed out, you know, off air, but like controller remapping is in there as well. And yeah, it's like there, yeah. there are a few more things I think that could go a long way. We actually have a piece in the works, Mark, talking to kind of what you were uh, that I hope people will check out soon. But yeah, it is like whenever, especially as we're going to get into, you know, more Souls discourse with Elden Ring around the corner, uh, people tend to be like, I think it gets reduced a lot to like, well, just put it in easy mode. But that's not often what accessibility advocates and and players who are disabled are looking for necessarily. There's Mm -hmm. like options and sliders and, you know, tweaks and things that can be made and, and just inherent game design philosophy things. So, yeah, I think it's like it is cool that there is stuff in here like the controller remapping and the shortcuts that can also help, you know, for people who, who don't want to have to go through all that stuff. But, yeah, I think a few tweaks here and there could also really open it up to a few people. Um, not to take away, I think, from how fun it is at its core, but I think it seems like Mitchell Jada and myself all agree. like It's a very, very fun game when you're able to get the hang of it, but it will be very hard or just frankly impossible i think for some people to get because it is so 
taxing and, and so timing specific and, and has very little in the way of like visual cues to get you going. Um, well, I, yeah, if you don't, if you don't like parrying in games, you're not oh, going to like this game straight yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> parrying yeah, is parrying so and you have to learn how to do it. It's, it's you got to learn how to parry and perfect dodge. Like that's that's the key. Like I don't even bother. Like especially with Sean's fight, I don't even try to parry. I just perfect dodge. Yeah, that's that, what you got to do. Yeah. So, but um, the one thing I would say that I think the game is lacking that I think would be an easy add and wouldn't change the experience a whole lot is just giving more variation to the training dummy um, because mm. it re- it has just Fair. passive and aggressive. Um, and passive basically means it'll just sit there and take your combos. Aggressive means it'll attack you, but it's a very limited range of at- of attacks. So yeah. I think giving the the uh, training dummy the ability to like pick up the weapons and use the weapons against you, so you can practice fighting enemies with weapons. Giving them the ability to use the like more charged uh, attacks, um, which are like when you see the enemy's fists glowing or feet glowing yellow or red. Um, because I don't think I, I don't recall them ever explaining that uh, feature other than that one spot in the beginning when the big guy tries to grab you for the first time. And it's like, you know, flick the stick down while holding L1 to dodge grabs. But that's pretty much it. Um, yeah, there's a tool tip. There's a tool tip in the the pause menu in the bottom left. There's like maybe oh. six, six different little uh, icons. You can click on each of them. They have a. Little ah. little tutorials that they could that extra tutorials that tell oh. you that you know when they're when their limbs glow it means that it's a power attack and they're going to do a lot of structure damage to you. There's actually there, okay. I want to like clear up a, a misconception. There's actually nothing in this game that's totally unblockable with the exception of a throw. Um, everything oh, can be blocked, but okay. certain attacks deal so much structure damage that if you don't have like you know a uh, a really low structure bar, it's just going to break your, your meter. Instantly. Um, yep. Yeah. Okay, so. see, I, I don't ever look at that little loading screen <laughs> menu because PS5 has spoiled me to where I'm just like, instant load, instant load, instant load. Yeah, um, you, gotta have, so you, you I, have to actually hit start and navigate to it, and it doesn't even tell you about it. Okay. So, but that, but actually, Jada's point about the the training mode w- is like super, super good, and yeah, like I, it's something I, that totally Devil agree. Devil May Cry does also. Um, yep. You can you can specifically select what enemy you want to fight. You can you know you can have them be aggressive. You can set all kinds of different little settings about it, and that would be so helpful in Sifu to be able to you know. Say okay, let me uh, let me fight against the girl that does the you know cartwheel kick and then the sweep. Mm-hmm. Let me fight against the the big dude that uh, does the the throw. Um, yep. It would yeah. be like, amazingly helpful. You're like, learning everything to, on the field. Yeah, like they don't yeah. have to put like, and I don't even want them to put the bosses in because I I think that's kind of the the you know the crowning achievement of beating those bosses is totally. learning them in in the in action, but like. Those regular enemies, like Mitchell was saying, that might regular but special regular enemies. Uh, I think that would it's just it would be so helpful because there's just you know sometimes you take those enemies out really fast and you're just like what did I do differently this time? Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. And then other times you're just like their structure gauge is red, but I cannot get this final hit, and now they've killed me. Yeah, <laughs> like no, I I think that's a fantastic call, Jada. Because yeah, I. I have definitely realized that I've gotten better and improved at the game, but there are certain times where I hit a brick wall or like you said, I do a fight better 
and I'm not quite sure how. And I think just a little bit more training would go a long way to facilitating understanding in that way. Because like there is so much depth to it, as as Mitchell, like you talk, you've talked about here and in your review, and and Jada, you've been discussing as well. Like there's a lot of depth to it, and when you master it, it's really satisfying. But yeah, I think mm-hmm. just like getting you prepared for that would help facilitate. I think all skill levels. AK, please just help me out here. I'm not. not I'm not as good as Jada or Mitchell or Mark. Please help me out. I'm, I'm Mark not, hasn't no, even played the game yet. I haven't even played it. But my my biggest thing is is like you know I I'm really like I really don't care what people think. I guess in in terms of like difficulty, right? Like I play a game to have fun, and yeah. so for some people, a lot of the fun comes from the difficulty. Like I beat Dark Souls for my first time, and I beat it almost entirely in co op, which was my friend basically telling me where I need to go, helping me with the bosses. Do, do I feel, like, ashamed that the only version of Dark Souls I've beaten is is the co-op version? Not at all. I don't and care. And you should. Because yeah. I'm... <laughs> no. I should. Because, you know, I'm, I'm 33, right? I feel myself kind of slowing down. I know, like, I know that doesn't happen to a lot of people. <laughs> there are people that are older than me that are, are still amazing at games, but it's like... You know, a game like Mario, we had joked about me being a, a Mario 64 speedrunner. That is not a game that takes reflexes, right? That It's all pure muscle memory. So that's a game that I've played a couple thousand hours of. And, and like, that's how I'm so good at it. But it's not reflexes, which is that's where Dark Souls and games like this kind of test you. And so I was not very good at Sekiro because I I couldn't dodge my way out of every problem, which which is what you can do in Dark Souls. So it's a game that looks fun. I have it, and I'm going to play it. Am I ever going to beat it? I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> I can't imagine myself getting super frustrated and wanting to press on just because, yeah, there's too many goddamn games to play. <laughs> I'm glad you brought up Sekiro because it definitely kind of has that aspect where you can't really increase your HP or stats like you can in a Dark Souls game mm-hmm. to kind of help like brute force your way through certain fights. Um, but my biggest issue with Sekiro was always the camera. I just thought the camera was like one of the worst cameras they had. Personally, I had the worst experience with the camera. Sifu does have some moments where the camera is like inside of your head and, and you get you get backed into a corner, but it's a lot better and it's more manageable, thankfully. So um, that's something I did want to point out for people maybe jumping into it. And you can adjust like the camera speed, which can help with, you know, repositioning and such. So again, more accessibility stuff. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. I think it, it, it would go a long way, but there's, there is so much at the core of the game that I think is enjoyable in that respect. And so, yeah, it's, it's more of a, like, I just want more people, and selfishly myself, to be able to experience the whole thing um, at varying mm-hmm. abilities of playing the game. And so, yeah, it's it's been really fun and really engaging uh, in a way that I have not taxed myself or challenged myself in a way like this in a while, but uh, mm-hmm. I guess February is the month for that between this and Elden Ring. But, <laughs> Um, Mitchell, any other sort of like overall thoughts about it uh, bef- before we move on, just in terms of your review or, or anything for people to keep in mind if they're thinking of jumping in? Um, I, I guess the only thing to, to touch upon, like with the reflexes, um, you know, there's a there's a concept in in fighting games called like the mental stack, which is basically like you know when you you practice combos in training mode and you can get them down and get them down. And then when you actually go into like an actual match, you can't do them because there's so many other things that are happening and you, mm-hmm. you can't, you can't focus on it. Um, Sifu kind of has that element to it also where, you know, you, you, you go against like a one-on-one fight and you can like dodge everything. You can 
parry very easily and then once you know you put a bunch of those enemies all together your 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 brain's going you know million, million miles an hour and you can't really focus on on the things that you could do against just one um so it is really just about you know the repetition of playing it and seeing you know the the startup animations of like when a guy is about to do like a superman punch and knowing that when he does that he's going to do two follow two follow-up attacks and then you can like you know there's a specific part of the third hit where you can dodge it it's and that, that might sound like a lot but i think that's part of the 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 fun for me in in playing sifu and one of the reasons why i'm not so bitter about having to restart all the levels so much because you you do have that that moment where you've seen everything so many times that like you honestly feel like a kung fu, kung fu master because you're, you know, you, you you recognize an attack coming, you parry it, you see another familiar attack coming, you dodge it. Um, it's it's not so much about reflexes because honestly, the dodge the dodge window is pretty generous. The parry window is tight, but yeah. when you're just dodging, um, it's pretty generous in terms of the the ability to get out of the way of a hit. Um, and it just feels really really good when you're able to, you know get through one of those those parts that you really struggled with. Uh, yeah. But yeah, that's I, I think that's what I want to end on in terms of my thoughts on Sifu. No, totally. One last, like, oh, yeah, go ahead. One last me. thing for you, Mitchell. Would you say this is like a story game, like a, a story mode version of a fighting game? Is, how, is that how <laughs> a good way to describe it? Uh, I do think that there's, there's definitely elements of, of fighting games to it. But, you know, it is... It, 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 to me, this is this is like a a Asian inspired version of like God Hand almost. <laughs> it, I've seen a, I've seen a lot of people say that this is like the natural evolution of beat 'em ups, like side scrolling beat 'em yeah. ups, right? You like you enter a room, you beat everyone up, and then you continue on. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely fair. Um, I will say, slow clap. Someone at slow clap definitely is a fan of God Hand because both in <laughs> this game and Absolver there were like several mechanics that were ripped straightly from God Hand that no other game does. Oh, and uh, you know, if, if slow clap is <laughs> is thinking about uh, what they want to do next, a spiritual successor of God Hand would uh, would be something that I would throw money at. <laughs> uh, deity foot. Deity foot. There, there it is. There it is. We did it. Uh, well, uh, Mitchell, thank you so much, uh, and Jada as well for for all your thoughts on it. Please go check out Mitchell's review uh, if you haven't already, and we'll, we'll actually have a little more seafood for you later in the show. But before we get there, uh, we've got a, quite a bit of a news roundup to get through. A lot of uh, you know exclusives, uh, multi-platform stuff, and just general PlayStation ecosystem things to to jump through. So let's start off with, I think, one of the bigger ones from the past week that we weren't able to talk about on last week's episode, which was uh, there are two showcases that we have to cover. So let's start with uh, in uh, alphabetical order, Ghostwire Tokyo. It's alphabetical by like the second letter in their names. Um, (laughs) Ghostwire Tokyo got a 20-minute-ish showcase. It was part gameplay for like 11 or so minutes and then a wacky and strange kind of like behind the scenes of of the devs talking about uh, the influence and and things for the games. This is, of course, going to be platform exclusive for at least a year on PS5, uh, not coming to PS4, uh, will also be coming to PC, I believe. And uh, this is, I think, the first time we actually know what Ghostwire Tokyo is. We've known about the game since the reveal events for the PS5 back in 2020, but we have really not had a sense of what the game was other than mm-hmm. supernatural, magic-y, 
death and, you know, the uh, occult sort of in Tokyo. And that's kind of all we've known. Obviously, it comes from the Evil Within devs. uh, So there's that lineage there, but it seems to be a little bit more action-focused. And so we finally got a gameplay showcase. We got, you know, a a decent chunk of how missions will work, how uh, the magic system works, how your your combat in general works. Uh, And I do think there are some different opinions on it. Uh, So, Mark, I'm going to start with you. What did you think of the showcase? Yeah, I I think this is like the third major thing we've seen from it. I I, I could be wrong, probably am. But I remember the original reveal was that whole like everybody just dies in Tokyo kind of thing, right? It looks like super gritty and stuff. And then they showed a trailer where you see the hands doing some crazy stuff. And I remember on Twitter, the discourse was like, whoa, this is not the kind of game that I thought it was. And then seeing this showcase... um, I don't think anybody's opinion is wrong on it, right? There are some people that that and 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 we'll get to her in a minute here. <laughs> there are some people that are, are not super <laughs> hot on the game, and that's okay because I I really I I after watching this I I've been comparing it a lot to Control, which was which was a game that I I really did not like when it first came out and ended up falling in love with when it came to PlayStation Five. But I, I, it's such a like weird what the hell is going on in this game that. I feel like the people that are into it are going to be super into it. That corridor, by the way, looks exactly like PT, but okay. And then uh, the people that aren't super into like its weirdness probably won't like it. And that's fine, too. I, I definitely feel like it's it's the control of this year. My, my personal opinion is that uh, I am into it. It looks super cool, and I can't wait to play it. And why don't any of them have heads? Like, <laughs> You've we'll been really obsessed out. with the heads, yeah. Yeah, I've um, been ex- obsessed with the lack of heads. Exactly. He says, he <laughs> says as a man gets headshotted by a bow. <laughs> um, for those watching the video. Kate, Kate, Kate timed that B-roll perfect, perfectly perfect just to timing. undermine me. Now the head is gone, so it tracks. No, yeah, I will say, I think for me, the quick takeaway was just like the magic gameplay is the coolest thing for it. A lot of people called it out, so I like... Um, this is not an original thought, but as, as soon as it happened, everyone was like, oh, that's just Doctor Strange. We're just getting to be Doctor Strange in a non-Marvel game. And it really does, like, the finger sort of tutting that they do for the magic. Mm-hmm. I'm a big The Magicians fan, so seeing that in a game is really cool as, like, an actual, you know, combat thing. And I'm really excited to see what those play like in time. I'm curious about how how much the animation time will affect, like, your ability to react to things in the moment, like, what what the, you know, chaining of different spells together might be like. I was less interested when he took out a bow and arrow and headshotted a dude, because I'm like, I do that in a lot of <laughs> games. But I, I think the world and the mystery of all that could potentially be really interesting. But yeah, I, I need to see what it's like to play for an hour more so mm-hmm. than I think, you know five minutes of it but this got me more excited i think than i have been uh, seeing, but- the, seeing the cut scenes like this it, this is what gives me control vibes is that if you played control which I, I think everybody on this panel did the the thing that's really funny about that game is it's so strange the enemies are super weird but you know the oldest house is such a crazy setting and yet most of the characters in the game jesse included don't really like highlight react. a lot of that they don't react to it they don't they don't 
mention like you never see Jesse be like what why is this house completely transforming in front of my eyes she just kind of goes with it they just and accept that's kind it, of yeah. The, yeah and that's kind of the vibes i'm getting here is that they just they they're just living in a world he blasts a whole bunch of people with his hands and then he's like hey you stop for drinks <laughs> and she's like okay <laughs> i'm gonna be honest that was like my least favorite part of control <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's fair and i i think it will be curious to see how all these parts play together in ghostwire i think that's gonna really sort of depend on you know whether it'll be fun to play for an hour or to just test out or if it will be fun throughout the whole campaign um jada how, how did the the showcase i keep wanting to call it the state of play hit for you uh so the first time i watched it i was kind of like meh i ended up re-watching it yesterday after our conversation because i was like i know we're gonna talk about it tomorrow so i want to refresh it i am a little bit more uh into it after watching the showcase the second time because i was able to kind of focus on more specific things kind of like the you know the the different magic as we're seeing on screen if you're watching the video on youtube you can you see all the different elements they have different charges and stuff like that so i'm kind of interested to see how that kind of min maxing and like you know uh not survive not survival but for lack of a better word how you have to like your resource management of these Mm -hmm. different elements i'm really interested in seeing how that kind of plays out and like how those different elements and stuff to work together. I agree with you, Mark, that it is definitely giving me control vibes and I, I loved control. Um, so I'm, I'm excited for this and I love the evil dead, not evil dead, evil within games. Um, evil dead is great too, but the evil within games I really liked. Um, so I'm excited. I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. I'm not like super like, Oh my goodness. I can't wait to play this like horizon or Sifu or, um, any of the other big ones I'm looking forward to. But I'm definitely going to give it a benefit of a doubt and give it a, and pick it up because I trust what the Evil Within devs have done in the past, and I think they're going to deliver um, an enjoyable experience for me at least. So I'm going to get it. I'm just not <laughs> like it's not going to be like I'm downloading this at midnight and playing eight hours. It'll probably be like I'll pick it up and I'll play it on the week at the weekend after it comes out. I don't know if it's a Tuesday or a Friday launch for this one. Um, I haven't looked at a yeah. calendar for it. But. We did officially get the March 25th date as part of this, even though yes. it had been leaked by the time we recorded last week. But yeah. Same day as Tiny Tina. That's so oh, yeah. stressful. And, that's a, <laughs> and that's, Kirby. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that's another thing. There's, it's coming out with a lot of other games. Like it's uh, same day as Tiny Tina, and it's a week after Strangers of Paradise, which I have made very well known on this podcast. And I'm super excited for Strangers of Paradise. So, like, it might be hard to pull me away from Strangers of Paradise to come to this just because I really like what I've played for Strangers of Paradise. But who knows? This might be my game of the year this year. Who knows? Dormus, <laughs> did you did you say Kirby? We don't talk about Nintendo on this podcast. All right. All we right. Ne- we would uh, never get out of here with this. Come we on. Never we do. don't talk about Kirby. No, <laughs> no, no. no. <laughs> I finally watched Encanto, so I understand that reference. Um... I avoided the song until I watched because I needed to see, hear it in context. Um, but yeah, it, that's a, a really strange day of games. That's like the same. There was a day a couple years back where like, I guess 2017, where it was like Mario Odyssey, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, and something else came out all in like one week. And it was just a very strange like mix of genres. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. I don't think the audience for Tiny Tina's or Kirby and, and Ghostwire are going to really be competing for attention unless you're just someone who wants to play all games, which valid fair that's kind of how i am but uh yeah it sort of has its own little place i'm I'm, it does feel like a perfect october game so it'll be interesting to see what the spookies are like in march but uh mitchell before we move on what did you think of the showcase man you know 
I did not watch anything of Ghostwire Tokyo uh, since like the first reveal of it. Uh, and so this was, this was like my first exposure to like what the game is actually going to be. And I am stoked for this game. <laughs> this looks awesome. Um, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of anime. I'm a big fan of Japanese folklore. It seems like most of these enemies have like roots in, in Japanese folklore. Like I saw a Ter Ter Bozu. Um, there's like Tengu things that are flying around. Uh, so like, I, I feel like it would be interesting just for one to learn about, you know, the, the folklore surrounding some of the enemies that they have, you know, very horror focused, but there's also a big action component to it. There, there seems to be a really deep upgrade system. Um, really, really cool and surreal first person exploration moments. Like the, the PT thing that Mark was talking about. Yeah. Uh, I think this game is gonna, gonna be awesome. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of bummed that I, I wasn't paying attention to it before. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I don't really think they've done a great job of showing what the game is before this. Like, I, yeah. and, and that's partially because they haven't shown much. Like, they've, they've kept it purposefully in the dark, I think, you know, as development went on and they had to deal with the pandemic and everything. But I don't really, like, this is the clearest example of what this game is. And I probably couldn't have told you. I, didn't, I don't even know if I knew it was sort of open world before <laughs> this video. Like, yeah. this was really insightful in a way that I appreciate. And, you know, we're, uh, I guess a little under two months away since it comes out at the end of March, but yeah, it's Mm -hmm. an exciting one that just kind of continues this trend of like, man, February and March is such a packed season right now. Uh, You know, obviously a lot of because of pandemic delays and things that have caused games to slip into new years, but, uh, it's, it keeps it going. Even, you know, I thought we'd have kind of a lull, after early March, maybe, but yeah, it feels mm-hmm. like we're going to just keep going, and and this looks no, it like just really keeps fun. going. And, um, yeah, and like like Jada said, I'm also very excited for Stranger of Paradise. So all the people that are like, oh, we just get through February and then we can like you know take a nap, guys. No, March no, is no. going to be crazy. We March, yeah. March <laughs> and then we take a nap. I think yeah. the only then we thing, can take a nap. In April, I think the only thing dated is Lego Star Wars, and that's like April fifth. So yeah. Ma- mm. Hoping April is quiet, but we'll see what happens. Um, it's, also, we, it's also my birthday month, so it's a big deal. True. We are going to do around, I think, yeah. three spoiler casts for your birthday. What's yeah. the plan? Yeah. Cool. Mark's origin story. Yeah. The, you know, all that the prequel, the, the pre-sequel, and then the sequel itself. Yeah. Um, yeah, but looking forward to Ghostwire Tokyo. Very curious to hear what people think out there, because obviously that's going to be one of the... Uh, another you know big console exclusive this year for us to cover so curious what people Mm -hmm. want to hear about that as we get closer to launch uh let us know in the comments or as i've been saying we actually didn't get any uh major comments or anything in the last week but if you do uh, you know whatever have questions or comments for us about uh game reveals or upcoming games or games we've been playing write into beyond at ign.com and we'll discuss them on the show but uh other than that wanted to also of course mention the gran turismo 7 state of play that was showcased last week that was a big uh, like 20 30 ish minute demonstration of it, uh, I would recommend going to check out Luke Rally's preview on IGN. He got to see a little bit more of the game, some some different features and modes, and, and got to go a little bit more in-depth there. And Luke is also just our car expert, so when I look mm. for racing game uh, <laughs> takes, I always go to Luke first. Uh, and he's a huge Gran Turismo fan, like, since the start. Um, we, we even talk about making some content, and he pulled out, like, old PlayStation 1 memory cards with old Gran Turismo saves on them, so uh, mm-hmm. very excited to see what he thinks about the game when we, when we get to play it. But, um, 
I, I don't have a ton of takeaways from it. I think Mark and Jada and Mitchell, if, if you have anything to say, Mark, I do want to throw to you because I do think you sort of summed it up for how I felt about the state of play as a showcase necessarily. But Yeah, I mean, I mean, racing games, right? They're like sports games. They're niche, right? People of the fans of that genre are going to want to play this game, right? So the, the, there's something to be said about certain games that can pull the outside audience in right games like forza horizon right like people who do not play car games played forza horizon because that there's just something about those games and for this this isn't it for me the you know this is more in line with forza motorsport just keeping it on the racetrack you know the real racing simulator is like what this game kind of touts and so the state of play i think was you know i thought i thought it was totally fine i think people that were excited for this game Got to learn a whole lot about the game. It looks super pretty. That's awesome. People like me who didn't have this game on the radar, I, I wouldn't say this swayed me to to, to get it. I, I don't think I'll be playing this, but I'm very, very, very excited for the people who are going to play it. Because I, I really love people... Like people who who play Madden and stuff like that and like love it every single year. I'm like, that's awesome. I love that... Any type of gamer has a game for them. And so that's kind of how I feel with this. Like, enjoy it. That's super great. I probably <laughs> won't play it. <laughs> I, I did see a lot of chatter of like, it would be so cool if they did a Gran Turismo in the style of a, Her- a Forza Horizon to, mm-hmm. to open it up a little bit more. Because, yeah, I don't know a thing about cars. I am definitely going to jump into GT7 because I used to play some of the older ones on like PS1, PS2 era. But it's, it's a thing that I've definitely fallen out of step with. And so the, the minutia of it is not something that immediately grabs me. But it definitely looks very pretty. And, and, and it very clearly looks like they're... This is, I think, a big anniversary year for it, so they're clearly trying to celebrate the franchise. And, and don't worry for the Gran Turismo fans that do listen. We are going to try to make sure to have Luke on the show, if he's available, of course, to to talk about it once the game comes out uh, with all of his expertise on it. But Jada, I do know that the, you enjoyed a particular part of this state of play. Yeah, I think the 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 thing that caught my eye the most was the photo mode. This, uh, this all the different levers and, uh, you know, bars you can tweak and pull... Um, for the photo mode just looked amazing. Like it looked photorealistic, like seeing some of those cars in front of the different like landmarks of the world. Like it just looks so good. And I hope that they inside the Sony studios, they take the tech that they're putting into the, this photo mode for GT seven to make it look so realistic. I hope this gets taken and used in other big Sony franchises. Like I want to be able to adjust the, all these different, uh, photo mode stuff. Cause I love using photo mode, but I'm I'm so tired of getting into photo mode and like, oh, I can't adjust the camera. I can't change the lighting. I can't, you know, do this. I can't do that. I think Spider-Man PS4 probably had one of the best uh, photo modes still to this date where you could set up three additional lights. You can change the color on the lights. You can change the time of day. You can change his pose, change his costume, all in menu, photo mode menu. And it doesn't affect your gameplay. So I like, I really hope that they you know, are figuring out photo mode to get it right for future games. Cause I really want for myself and the other, uh, photo files. I don't think that's the right word for people who <laughs> like to take photos, <laughs> Sure, but, um, uh, that's what we're going to go with for now. Um, cause I do not remember the word for those people. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I hope they just take the, take the lessons from this and use it in the other games. I think the photo mode is going to be a big, I think we're going to see a lot of car pictures from a lot of people. 
Oh yeah, no, I'm I'm totally with you. It's strange to me that all photo modes within PlayStation are not created equal when they do, you know, share ideas and tech and, and certain things. I I do hope we see more standardization of options because it's it can be a little annoying to get into a photo mode and then not have the as many options in another, you know, PlayStation first party game. I think like even last year there were, there were some that you jumped from like De- Demon Souls to Returnal to Ratchet and there were like all these variations and then you throw like the Spider-Man re- remaster and Miles Morales in there and it's like there's a lot of different things that I think if every game had would it would just be incredible to use and I would spend even more hours mm-hmm. not playing the game and just taking photos. But um, Mitchell, any other thoughts on on Gran Turismo before we head out? I do not know your your Gran Turismo uh, fandom or lack thereof. <laughs> it it sure is pretty. <laughs> the music the music's good. Well, yes. <laughs> it, no, I'm, I I totally understand. What a hot Cars go take. fast. Cars go fast. <laughs> from, from. Um, <laughs> yeah, we uh, we obviously will uh, try to connect Luke. Luke, if you're out there listening to this. I guess this is your your call. Please please answer the call. And we'll, <laughs> this we'll is the best way to get a hold of him. This is this apparently is. <laughs> this is the only way I know. Um, everyone everyone hold hands and let's let's call for Luke Riley. <laughs> a summoning circle on video. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but speaking of sort of you know the the crossovers of things that do happen from one PlayStation Studio to the next, uh, there was one that was shown off this week, and then another smaller one that was really cool in anticipation of Horizon Forbidden West coming out. Uh, Ghost of Tsushima got in a cool update for the director's cut version on Iki Island uh, there is a wind shrine that was rebuilt or essentially you know was previously not something you could uh, interact with it's now there if you solve a puzzle you get a Horizon uh, inspired costume to wear in the the single player version Uh, this is really cool shout out to former friend of the show slash cast member slash my old boss Andrew Goldfarb who apparently had a big hand in making this happen uh, he tweeted a little bit about it and sort of how many people actually get involved in something like this that seems relatively minor maybe to you know players out there it takes so many people across concepting and game design and, and multiple studios and all of these different people involved to make it happen I think it's a really cool way to both one give people a reason to go back to Ghost and two, to, to amp up the hype across studios. PlayStation has, mm-hmm. I think, done this really well where they, you know, celebrate each other's releases a lot. You see kind of the studios releasing fan art of each other's games around launches uh, with every big game. And now we're seeing more in-game stuff like this. And, and just another was uh, today they announced Sackboy, A Big Adventure mm-hmm. is getting Silence and Horizon, or and Aloy costumes in anticipation of Horizon. And they've gotten so many. They got like Last of Us and, and Returnal and, and Ratchet and & Clank and more. And I just think it's such a cool celebration of these games, even if they're not, you know, cinematic universe crossing over. Uh, getting stuff like that, getting... A Horizon cameo in, in a Ratchet and Clank Rift and Rift Apart. I think it's just like a really cool way to see these games kind of in conversation with one another. We're yeah. g- we're gonna see Aloy on the back of you know Deacon St John's motorcycle and Days Gone. Like that's not even, that's not even a joke. That's the stuff they do. Like yeah, I mean like, they did not, a Death not in bike. game. They just they just you know they make little illustrations of it and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's a really cool thing. I do. We were talking off the air. I think Jada, you had you were the one who kind of came up with this theory. But basically, like it'd be cool if they they keep doing this because it's not like there wasn't a Horizon costume in Ghost. It just wasn't yeah, Legends. It was in, yeah, it was in the multiplayer mode. You already could get Horizon, uh, Kratos's outfit from God of War, Shadow of the Colossus, and then Bloodborne were the four outfits. But they were exclusively locked to multiplayer. And there were so many fans I know that were like, "Why can't I take this in the single player?" Like 
please put it in a single player. Like, I don't play multiplayer, blah, blah, blah. I don't have friends, whatever, you know, uh, people, reasons were for not playing the multiplayer mode. They wanted those outfits in single player. Um, and now they're, they're doing it. So who knows? Maybe when we get a God, uh, God of War Ragnarok launch, we'll see Kratos's outfit, make it to Ghost of Tsushima for another like puzzle type thing. And if we ever get that PS5 Bloodborne 60 FPS update, <laughs> we'll get the Bloodborne one. And yeah. when we get Shadow of the Colossus 2, um, miniature Colossus mode, uh, you know, that's, that's a thing that's coming. I've talked to uh, of course. PlayStation, it's happening. Uh, we'll get the uh, that one in single player. Who knows? Can't wait till that news shows up on Reddit. Um, <laughs> yeah, Shadows of the Colossus is going to be really big. I'm, I'm excited for it. Um, no, yeah, it's totally a cool thing. And I think what we're essentially saying is, Andrew, great job. We have more work for you to do. Is yes, what we're trying to tell Andrew, you. keep it yeah. up. <laughs> keep keep, keep it guys. up and keep working. No, but yeah, this is really awesome. Uh, if you, you know, haven't I, been to go. Yes, Mark. I, I have to step away for like five seconds. Cool. But, uh, well, maybe like a minute, but you can keep the show going if you'd like. Fair enough. Bye, everyone. Goodbye. And we're just going to be silent. We're just going to we're just going <laughs> to sit in silence till Mark returns. And we're not going to edit it out of the show, so you're going to have to listen to five minutes of silence. But it's not going to be exact, so you can't even skip through on your on your like uh, fast forward buttons. Uh, but no, this was really cool. I think go check it out. Uh, it also, again, if you haven't played Sackboy, it's a really fun platformer. Go play it. And there's like a dozen different free costumes now of a bunch of PlayStation characters, and it's really cute and adorable. Um, yes, Mitchell, were you saying something? Oh, well, I was just oh. going to say, and speaking of PlayStation crossovers, uh, yes. have I told you about my wishes for PlayStation <laughs> All-Stars Battle Royale 2? Because let me tell you, things are getting interesting now with Bungie coming into the PlayStation family. We can get, like, K6. We can get Ikora uh, Ray. We can get Zabala. We can get, you know, and that's all just kinds one of character. interesting uh, and that's just one character. You just—it's like Pokemon Trainer in Smash. It's just one character. You yeah, just you between switch them. between them. We okay. um, <laughs> no, this opens up the door to have Lance Reddick fight Lance Reddick because Silence can fight. It. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, Destiny. So like, it just works. When perfectly. you said when we said that we would have a minute of silence, I thought you were gonna have Lance Reddick <laughs> on the phone. Just you know, God, Queen <laughs> Lance Reddick. If you're out there listening, please come on beyond. That would be me. He's just the coolest. Um, anyway. Very cool addition, and yes, if you do want more PlayStation All-Stars Battle Royale, two thoughts. <clears throat> Actually, go listen to that episode from a few months ago, because it was a really fun one to record. And I, I just had to mention it, because every time no, I've been do. on Beyond, I I, uh, I feel like I've mentioned PlayStation All-Stars Battle Royale 2, so I had, to, I had to keep the tradition. I would have been disappointed. Um, so <laughs> we're, we're keeping the spark of PlayStation All-Stars alive, and I hope one day it happens and we can we can have a big celebration on this show. For sure. Um, move, moving on through the, the list of news just to catch up on. For those who didn't see, uh, obviously this pertains probably to a small amount of players, but there is another PS5 beta software update currently going on. Uh, this will let participants test new uh, options and, and things uh, within the sort of PS5 UI and, and some updates there. Uh, the big, biggest things are, are new party chat options and voice command stuff. Um, party systems will now work a little bit differently. You can start an open party, which all of your friends can see it and join it or create a closed party that exclusively for just you know invites and things like that. Uh, PlayStation 4 players can also control individual voice chat volume for every person in the party, which is currently available on PS5, but that'll open the door up to, obviously, all of the PS4 players out there. Uh, game base on PS5 is getting some UI updates and, and shifting around some things in the way you see friends, parties, and messages and whatnot. 
uh, and then a few other UI updates are happening as well. Uh, you know, obviously this is just going to be a beta for people, but I think it's, it's an important thing to mention, especially with new voice command updates. Uh, and there are some additions to, you know, being able to use that stuff to open games and apps and things like that. I think the biggest stuff here is that it creates more accessible options for people to operate their PS5, which is always a good thing. And, and is always something PlayStation should and seems to be striving more and more for, especially this generation. Uh, and so it's cool to see this stuff continue to get integrated. Uh, we, I don't think any of us have gotten a chance to mess around with any of it. So um, uh, Jada, unless you've been holding out on me, I don't think there's any sort of secrets we can reveal about it, but uh, it's a cool thing to see. And I, I hope people get to use it and, and enjoy it in a, a bigger way sooner than later. I actually do need to dive into these settings because I don't know if it's somebody <laughs> ran. I have too many people on my friends list for PlayStation because uh, I went through a period of time when I was streaming and I was just adding people to play with followers and stuff. Uh, but I have somebody on my friends list who keeps spamming me with like party requests. So I got to go look in the options and see if I can just like block them from sending me party because they always send it. And it's like a party of like 83 people. And I'm just I'm, like, oh, my God, I'm really sorry about that. It's just it like if I keep yeah. doing it, I'm going to get free sneakers. They tell me so I need uh, to keep sending the invites. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> I apologize. All right. That works. Uh, I'm going to switch it up in the run of show a little bit because one of the news pieces we were going to talk about, I did want Mark around for. So we'll, we'll wait for a second. But another follow up sort of in our uh, the ongoing saga of Microsoft acquiring Activision Blizzard and what that means for PlayStation players. Uh, we just got uh, some word today that Microsoft has confirmed that not just Call of Duty, but other popular Activision Blizzard titles will not just be released uh, on PlayStation to honor existing contracts, but beyond the existing agreements and into the future, seemingly leaving the door open for more exclusive or more Activision games to still appear on PlayStation systems. Uh, this was a piece published on how the company will adapt to gain regulatory approval for the takeover, since you know they got to go through a lot of uh, scrutiny before it can happen. Uh, President Brad Smith addressed concerns that popular games would no longer be available on competing consoles by saying, quote, To be clear, Microsoft will continue to make Call of Duty and other popular Activision Blizzard titles available on PlayStation through the term of any existing agreement with Activision. And we have committed to Sony that we will also make them available on PlayStation beyond the existing agreement and into the future so that Sony fans can continue to enjoy the games they love. Um, this is, of course... One of those things where they they also say we're also interested in taking similar steps to support Nintendo's success, successful platform. We believe this is the right thing for the industry, for gamers, and for our business. Um, you know, I think both the wording there and the reality of it currently just opens the door up to it's probably going to be a very selective case-by-case -case basis. And especially because the deal is not through, like Microsoft does not own Activision right now. They can't definitively say what they're going to do with Activision games after this deal, because that would, that would cause problems in this whole process. So they just, they legally can't say those things. I, I don't think that means that they're lying, but I do also think there's, there's room in that wording to be like, well, it'll be the games that it makes sense to keep multi-platform to make money out of. Um, I forget who said it, but I saw some of the, the common sentiment going around of being like, they can still put the game, some of these games on PlayStation, like Call of Duty, but, you know, why are Call of Duty players going to buy it on PlayStation when they can get it as part of Game Pass? You know, I think people are going to see, pay $70 on PlayStation, get a game on Game Pass, and if you're, if you're fortunate enough, that's obviously for people who can have both systems, 
you're probably going to play it on the system where you don't have to spend an additional $70. That just makes sense for people. But yeah, I, I don't know about uh, Jada or Mitchell. Um, Jada may be certain with you. I, I still feel like this is not something we're going to know the full understanding and gravity of until the deal closes, it feels like. Yeah, I mean, you know, none of us in this room are lawyers, unless Mitchell has a law degree I don't know of. Um, Hold on a second, let me... Just just pull out the the plaque. My dad Uh, was a lawyer, and so people... Oh, there you go, transferative properties. Exactly. It's just like like my my grandfather was a barber, so I instinctively know how to cut hair. My grandfather's cousin's best friend (laughs) was a lawyer. No, I can't tell you, though, the number of people throughout my life who have asked me for legal advice because they knew my dad was a lawyer and I'm like, I don't know. I'm not there with him. I don't understand the law. Jonathan, anyway. you weren't sitting in the you weren't sitting in the library studying for the bar with your dad at like God, age no. five? No, I was playing video games and he was like, oh, that's, <laughs> that's nice. That's nice, son. Anyway, go um, ahead. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of there's like you said, there's gonna be a lot of like wiggle room in their wording for getting around some of these things. Like Obviously, at this point, they want it to appear as they're going to play nice. They want they don't want to drum up any outrage or give any extra reason to have any more eyeballs on this deal than there already are on this deal. They want to keep they want most deals. That's why like a good chunk of deals, unless it's a big thing like this, generally don't get talked about a whole much or picked up in news stories until it's a done deal. And it's like closing. Um, Obviously, that there's exceptions to that rule. Um, but I think that's kind of, you know, at this point, they just kind of want it to kind of happen and be done. And then they'll be like, all right, now we can talk about everything we're going to do and what we want to go into this, you know, for this planning and how we're going to cooperate. Um, but yeah, I don't think, I don't think anything is set in stone yet because like you said, they, they probably legally can't say that because they haven't dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's on the contracts and everything like that. Yeah, I think even um, Ryan McCaffrey, uh, obviously a host of Podcast Unlocked, even tweeted out that this feels like they're getting ahead of, you know, potential worries that this would cause monopoly or consolidation issues, which is obviously what the FTC will be evaluating and, and looking into. He even, you know, says the blog is literally called Adapting Ahead of Regulation. And so this feels very much like a don't worry, we're going to still make things available, but I, I do think it will be stuff like Warzone or, you know, existing communities that will be on PlayStation that they want to support and not take away from. I th- You know, I think in the same way that they're not going to take away Destiny from Xbox players, 10 years down the line, I, Bungie will probably make something that is exclusive for PlayStation. That just feels like a natural, yeah. you know, byproduct of, the, of these deals in the same way of like Activision companies will probably make a lot of exclusives for Xbox and even stuff that's multi-platform at the end of the day will be on Game Pass versus probably not available on any equivalent on PlayStation, I assume. <laughs> I've, I've got a, I've got a Bungie's exclusive. Uh, I got some notes here. Um, it's oh, going to be, a, it's going to be leaks. a, it's going to be a VR game. It's going to be called ghosts adventure. And you're going to be playing as a ghost in VR, following the ghost of Tsushima in ghost of Tsushima five. Whenever we get that in ghost wow. of Tsushima five, you say scoop. Yes. Damn. <laughs> I, I can't believe they're going to blow through four ghost of Tsushima's like that so quickly, but man, I am looking forward to that. Uh, well, the third one is actually going to be like a, um, an adventure like narrative game so like kind mm. of like the telltale like games it's gonna be like one of, of those course. but that's the of third course one. that makes but sense. is he voiced by peter dinklage 
<laughs> uh, they got no, him back. They're they're in talks. Is he coming uh, back? They're in talks, but we don't. We haven't. Uh, they haven't signed the, the, the paperwork yet. Like, we'll see. <laughs> I know that's like an eight-year-old story, so forgive me. But maybe one of you knows better than me. He was replaced by Nolan North, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Cool. Uh-huh. I just I, I remember that being such a I, I wasn't at IGN at the time, but I just remember that being such a big funny thing about that first game. <laughs> um, Mitchell, any thoughts on sort of I know you haven't been on for the last few discussions about this, but any sort of thoughts about what were you like your gut tells you what we should probably expect going forward? <laughs> I mean, Call of Duty staying multi-platform makes all the sense in the world. This is you know, it, it cannot be understated how much money Call of Duty makes. And a lot of that is because of the fact that you know, it's getting it's getting dollars from from every fan base. It's getting, you know, it, it's massively popular on both Xbox and PlayStation. So, uh, so yeah, I, I don't think it would it would ever make sense to to make Call of Duty a single platform game. Um, and also, I just don't. I think there's a lot of you know people who play Call of Duty that only really play Call of Duty, um, and I just don't think that they would go out of their way to buy the console that Call of Duty is on when they can, they can just play the last Call of Duty that everyone, all their friends are that also only own one console or still playing. Um, so yeah, so yeah. to me, this makes total sense that Call of Duty is, would, would remain multi-platform. Um, I do think it is going to be a case-by-case basis. I think we are going to see, you know, new IPs that, like you said, Dornbush don't have that established player base that are going to be, you know, Exclusive, and I think the other aspect of this conversation that's interesting is what um, what Activision is going to do in terms of DLC and exclusive benefits for people who mm-hmm. buy, you know, who buy Call of Duty on on Xbox, um, or you know, on the other side of that, what destiny is going to do for people who have it on playstation they already have done a bunch of exclusive dlc for for um destiny on playstation so i think it's going to be interesting to see just how that relationship is going to evolve now that bungie is under the sony umbrella um in terms of you know will they get extensive exclusive (laughs) missions or will it be you know tied to just guns still cosmetics or yeah yeah, there's there's it's, definitely some some interesting wrinkles to the story that, like you said, we'll find out more about once things are are more concrete in terms of how they end up, you know, working out. Yeah, like once these deals are closed, we will get so much of a better idea of of what the future looks like on both sides because they just they have to make sure these deals look as, you know compliant and friendly as possible as they're going through all of these things. So yeah, it will be very curious to see, and, and Jada, as you've talked about before, like mm-hmm. the this brings up that weird thing of, for years, PlayStation was paying for advanced exclusives for Call of Duty DLC. And so, what will they do yep. now that it's owned by the other company? I You know, it's, it's going to be very interesting to see play out, and as we've talked about a lot before, it's going to be this fight for content over the next decade plus, is kind of what we're going to be seeing more and more. Yeah. And I could see it going both ways. You know, I could see them going with Destiny, just doing guns and stuff like that. But also, you know, Marvel's Avengers, they did Spider-Man, which was exclusive character, which is, a you know, complete. There was no special missions or anything with them, but that was a, like a good chunk of content that was exclusive to PlayStation and still hasn't gone anywhere else and probably won't because of, you know, Sony's ownership of Spider-Man and just wants to use him for all that he's worth because 
he's Spider-Man and Spider-Man is great. Um, but yeah, it, so it could go either way. And, you know, I could see definitely with Xbox, if you own the game on Game Pass, like you're getting maybe a discount on buying like <clears throat> the, the Battle Pass for Call of Duty each year or yeah. like getting, you know, uh, the month, like the whatever their their in-game currency is that you can buy. Not in-game, but like microtransaction currency that you can buy for Call of Duty because they've had that for the last couple of years, if I remember correctly now, mm-hmm. um, to where you can just buy like extra custom costumes and, you know, dress up as, I don't know, a giraffe on the battlefield or whatever. I don't know <laughs> what uh, what the outfits were. I never spent money on Call of Duty outside <laughs> of just the game itself because sure. that's all I need for my Call of Duty. I just, I don't need to, A, paint a bigger target on myself when I'm on a kill streak. It's fair. Yeah. Go check out our friends over at Podcast Unlocked because they did talk a lot about GTA 6 this week and sort of their hopes for it. I know McCaffrey is a huge GTA fan uh, and, and can talk to all that sort of stuff. But yeah, go, go check out their their sort of thing. But obviously, as we learn more about GTA 6 proper, we'll discuss it on the show and dive into whatever it is. But we've still got GTA 5 on PS5 to look forward to in March. So, you know, because that's what everybody wants. Finally, I will play GTA 5. Um, not a joke. I have never played it. Uh, anyway, other than that, uh, also from the day that we're recording, just worth mentioning, The Wolf Among Us 2 finally got shown off. We got a, a longer trailer for it. Uh, Telltale confirmed that it is coming in 2023. It will be released episodically, but they are building the game sort of as a whole. So it's not going to be a thing where... Uh, you know, what could happen a lot with Telltale games was they would go episode by episode, and so there could be big, big gaps in between episodes and delays and things as they they workshopped and, and got things together. Here it sounds like they're building the whole season at once, and we'll just release it sort of in a, the standard episodic expectation. Uh, if either of you are a big Wolf Among Us fans, feel please feel free to shout it out. I enjoyed it. Yeah, Mitchell, go, go for it. Yeah, no, it looked awesome. Um, not just in terms of uh, you know, just the the simple fact that it's a continuation of of the Wolf Among Us, which is I think probably the second best Telltale, Telltale game behind Tales from the Borderlands, in my opinion. Um, but it like it looks really good. Um, like it style stylistically, it looks like it's being ripped right from the pages of the graphic novel. Um, which you know the the first game kind of kind of pulled it off, but this this is kind of taking it to another level. I feel like. Um, yeah, it was just a really cool little scene of of Bigby uh, going into this this apartment complex with uh, Dorothy and Tin Man and the Scarecrow, and uh, yeah, it looked awesome. I, I I'm super stoked for it. I think I feel like 2023 is too long to wait. Uh, I want it to be 2022 selfishly, but uh, yeah. But do you I, want I, it in March of 2022? Yes, I want I want more stuff in March. <laughs> it needs to be this. Uh Jada, any thoughts on Wolf Among Us? I don't know if you were a fan of the original. I've played maybe a grand total of three hours of the first Wolf Among Us, and that was probably all in the first chapter because I probably paused the game and got distracted. Um, <laughs> uh, I will say it was the one I was most interested in playing. I just, at the time when it came out, I think I was in a different career or job or something like that. And it was occupying all of my time. So I didn't have as much time to sit down with that one and fully enjoy it. But it's definitely one I'm going to dig up out of the archive and go back and play ahead of to launching next year. So yeah, um, I'm I, hyped for it. I love the whole grim fairy tale aspect. Cause that's what that one's based off of. Correct. 
Yeah, yeah, there was it's based the, off of fables. fables, the, fables. the comic, yeah. yeah, which there you yeah. go, yeah. So, but yeah, I'm super excited for that. Uh, I think it's going to be excellent. Uh, yeah. So yeah. I'm hopeful for it. It is obviously, you know, we're in a weird place with what Telltale is. It's obviously the same name of the studio, but it, uh, the original closed, and there were all these horrible stories of, of you know, worker treatment there and, and overworking and, and just a lot of horrible stuff. And it is, we're in this weird space where it's like a new Telltale. I think it's new management and a new ownership. But, you know, not the whole staff was brought back necessarily. Uh, according to their PlayStation blog post, uh, around half of the team consists of former Telltale staffers, apparently. Uh, so, you know, it'll be curious to see what does and doesn't translate from what a lot of the, the great work that was being done by the Telltale team does come into this one. I think The Wolf Among Us was probably one of their most interesting series, uh, at least for me. I think it was one of the the most fascinating, and even if there were some, you know, lulls in it, I think that came with every Telltale game. And whoa, Mark is back. How is is this podcast still going? We were waiting for you. (laughs) There's no way anybody cares this much about what you guys have to say. Wow. (laughs) Dang. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us this week. Uh, Before we go, though, actually, I do want to throw to, uh, I did promise there would be more Sifu in the show, Uh, and then I'm going to come right back for a hot take from Mark. Uh, I did, in interview with one of the developers, uh, one of the leads on Sifu, sort of about the game, their excitement in, in creating this world and some of the mechanics and things like that, uh, as well as some extra tips from the devs themselves about, uh, you know, jumping into the game if you're a newcomer. So let's throw to that before we come back. Hey, everyone. I am so excited to be talking about one of the coolest PlayStation console exclusives coming out this year, Sifu, which is just hitting this week as we're publishing this episode. So please go check it out because it's really cool. And we're going to talk about it a lot more in the Wider Beyond episode. You've probably already heard some of that. But I'm very, very excited to be joined by Slow Clap's own Pierre Tarno to talk about Sifu. Pierre, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. I'm I'm really excited to talk to you about Sifu. I've been having a blast playing it, uh, whittling away, trying to get a little bit better each run, uh, you know, really improving uh, my abilities because the game really facilitates that, uh, you know, learning and mastering the combat system that you've, you and the team have really put together here. It's something really special in my mind. But I did want to start off, you know, just in case people don't have much of, a, of an idea of Sifu, maybe they've only seen a trailer or two, what's sort of the, the elevator pitch for people who maybe haven't heard of Sifu? Um, I think we can uh, say uh, we tried to make uh, the best uh, martial arts uh, movie that you ever played. It's, um, no, it's, 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 um, it's an action adventure. It's a brawler that's um, really inspired by um, uh, martial arts action movies and both old school and contemporary. And, um, and that's, um, so there's a lot of inspiration from um, either in the settings and the enemies and really in the way of fighting uh, from movies going from Jackie Chan's police story uh, with a lot of environment interaction, um, tons of enemies surrounding the character, traversal mechanics, etc., all the way to movies like The Raids, which are um, very immersive, visceral, and, um, and have that credible aspect uh of um of combat that we wanted to to replicate and um and so that's uh that's pretty much the experience that we wanted to to give it's it's certainly been you know living up to i think those homages for me but also just creating something 
on its own that's distinct and and really fun and engaging and especially that comes down to the the combat system but i was wondering if you could talk maybe a little bit about that system in general and, and what the team really wanted to accomplish with it because it's it's really precise it, it there's a lot of variety to it and a lot of depth but uh it, it's something that i've I've found you really need to learn to master, and it's been an exciting, you know, learning experience for me. But what were the team's sort of overall goals with the combat? Well, it's it, it's great that you mentioned a learning experience because that's really what we were aiming for. Um, Kung Fu, originally, Gong Fu actually means mastery through practice. And, um, and this is um, really the experience that we wanted to give to the players, that feeling of... Um, you know, progressively getting to master that um, uh, combat, and um, obviously you, you don't become a kung fu master in uh, in ten to fifteen hours. But um, it's um, I, I I hope that players will be able to um, to you know become good at the game in that type of time frame, and um, and that's also where the whole aging mechanic of the game ties with is that you know notion of you know time passes and you need perseverance practice uh before before you reach any form of, of mastery whether it's in martial arts or anything else and um and so yeah that's um that's uh, really what we want to feeling we want to to give and beyond that it's um it's what i was mentioning earlier about Having this, you know, one versus many combats, that's very challenging in which you have to avoid getting surrounded, use your environment to your advantage, whether it's, you know, placing objects and elements between you and the enemies, doing crowd control moves, pushbacks, knockdowns, etc., or using anything that, you know, you can lay your hands on, uh, pushable items, uh, bottles to throw in faces, um, makeshift weapons, etc., and in in terms of that, there is as as you were mentioning, just a, a big variety of moves. And and for people who haven't haven't jumped in yet or are planning to jump in, th- there's a whole host of moves that you can sort of unlock over time. Uh, and then you can also work uh, to to gain experience points to unlock those things uh, permanently for for yep. run to run. How how did both I think with those sorts of moves um, and you know choosing what to put behind there versus what to give the player at the start. Uh, as well as, you know, the types of encounters they'll have at the beginning. How, how did the team kind of settle on the difficulty curve of the game? Was it a lot of just testing, you know, fight by fight, scene by scene, trying to get it right? Or, or were there like key goals of wanting to give people certain things at the start and let them unlock certain things later? Well, we wanted the game to be challenging uh, for sure, but it's been a constant iterative process Um to sort of nail that balance. And we actually um, pushed uh, the latest, the last patch, um, like tweaking a couple of values here and there to um, make the game both accessible and challenging was actually pushed yesterday. And so if you update the game, you, you, you'll be able to try it. And we circulated some patch notes. But um, it's been certainly um, yeah, an iterative effort and... The, the general idea is that w- we wanted the, the game to feel good. Um, so for it to be, you know, fun to just pick up and play, even though you won't necessarily go super far, but due to the aging mechanic in which when you die against some enemies, you can revive instantly and resume combat and sort of keep progressing. Um, 
you, you do get that um, invulnerability feeling at first. And um, uh, pretty soon you understand that every mistake has its price and that uh, if you want to go to the end of the adventure, you'll have to manage the number of times you die pretty carefully. Um, and in terms of movesets, um, it was basically the idea is that at the beginning of the game, you get you have pretty much all the tools tools you need to complete the game but by defeating enemies gaining xp and spending it on skills you sort of get a wider panel of options uh, which will help you uh, in combat and also for more advanced players allow you to do like stylish things um, just for the sake of it yeah, I have I have certainly uh, enjoyed maybe a little too much using the uh, kicking an item across a stage at yeah. an enemy or two because that is very satisfying. But also, as you said, there's there's a style that that I think the combat system allows for. You don't you're not just playing yeah. well, but you can look cool as you're doing it, which seems like probably a, a, a bit of a goal here as well. Um, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. It, it, looking, yeah. Looking good while you do roundhouse <laughs> kicks is, was clearly an, uh, also an objective, and um, but it, I think it's important to note that you know we we based our main character's fighting style on Pac Mei Kung Fu, which is a pretty specific style that um, that is very precise, very fast, very explosive, and um, and this is not you know it's. It's not directly supposed to be stylish, right? It's not like sure. wushu type of kung fu. It's not like crouching tiger, hidden dragon, very flowing things, very exuberant. It's um, uh, it's not a this type of kung fu is not a it's not a show. It's not a sport. It's uh, really like you know life of life and death situations, and it's meant to be very effective. Um, so it's. It looks it looks cool, but it's not like stylish for the sake of it. Absolutely, no. The 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 move sets. I I think you know. Speaking to your point, there's a lot of quick hits or or brutal, unexpected, uh, you know, knockbacks and things that you can do that really come across as sort of the the ferocity of the the combat as it's going on. Um, I would say, like more than anything, for me, the style kind of comes from the the world that you've built and, and sort of the levels you go through. And and it, you know, without spoiling where where the game can go for players, there are some really pretty in depth, lengthy, cool levels that you'll go through. And I I did want to talk about sort of how did the team pick certain locations? Was it based on on the pieces of media and, and history that you wanted to pay homage to? Was it, uh, you know, just general ideas that were floating around? How did, how did you settle on the, the level layouts? Actually, it was um, very early in the project um, and for narrative reasons that I won't spoil here, um, we decided that each of the five levels of the game and their respective bosses uh, would be inspired by one of the five Chinese elements. And so these elements being um, wood, fire, water, metal, and earth. And this, you know, this concept really uh, infused the story building, the world building, uh, whether it's, you know, the bosses, why they attack your family, what they did after, and what environments they're in now, and 
we call them hideouts. And um, and so these five hideouts, the five levels of the game, have um, have each have um, a pretty strong strong theme to them, and which makes them so different visually. Yeah, they've they've been an absolute joy to explore in, in just sort of the the aesthetic that you all have nailed. I don't even know really the the right artistic term to describe it, but it, there's a lot of really you know sharp angles, beautiful lighting, and and, and a lot of ambiance that I, I think immerses you in them very very quickly. Cool. Uh, and and I did want to sort of talk about the level layouts in general because for for people who maybe haven't seen too much of the game or aren't sure, uh, obviously there is a lot of fighting as you're progressing through and ultimately getting to to you know the final fights in each level. But there is more to do in these worlds. There are collectibles to pick up. There are sometimes shortcuts that you're able to find for later runs. Was that something that was always part of the level design as well? Because that that was a, a bit more of a surprise for me was being able to you know learn more about the world but also find ways to navigate it in a different way. Yeah, the, the, um, the, the story of, um, uh, of the game is um, we're, we're not explicit on every single element of the story. And so um, environmental storytelling uh, plays an important role, um, you know, side by side with cutscenes and um, in-game dialogues, uh, etc. So, um, so, so, yeah, that, that's clearly... Um, an important part um and as for shortcuts uh it's really a matter of uh having um, a progression system in which when you face a you know a difficult part and typically a boss um we didn't want you to systematically have to go through the whole level uh before being able to like resume your fight with that boss and so making shortcuts uh, made sense and then beyond that i think um having you know a form of exploration and things like you know hidden stuff hidden bonuses hidden weapons um spread throughout the levels for players who like just don't go straight to the objective is is always nice to have a, you know a reason to explore and um and to go beyond this you know strictly critical path of the game yeah it's definitely given me a, a fun excuse to kind of keep an eye on on a door or a window in the background of like can i can i get through there maybe for a little bit but it never really i think takes away from from sort of the drive and the purpose of the character they are you know very focused on on progressing through the level and i i think the the game does a great job of making the player want to keep focused on that as well and yeah. one of the one of the ways i feel like that happens is something you were mentioning a little bit more was the variety of combatants that you face. Uh, everyone isn't just fighting the exact same way or has the exact same moveset, obviously, but there's um, <clears throat> both different types of enemies, different approaches, it seems, to the way they fight with you. Some prefer weapons, some don't. Uh, for those who don't know, there are weapons scattered throughout the world you can pick up as well. Um, what I, I suppose it, it may be a bit of a vague question, but sort of like how did the team decide what the maybe buckets or, or versions of, of enemies that you were going to face were? Were there like particular archetypes that you wanted to put into the game? Was it just figuring out different ways to use the combat system? How did that all come about? Yeah, well, you, you do want to have archetypes in in a game like, like this one because... Um, once again, it's a challenging game, and you 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 do need to be able to 
understand the patterns of your enemies, learn them progressively, and react to them. And so having like a variety of archetypes um, with uh, obviously you know different looks and styles depending on the levels that you're in was um, was an important part of um, of the design, as is the case for the bosses who um, who also have really specific fighting styles that correspond to their backstory, and um, and so yeah, it was you know general archetypes in the levels uh, plus the bosses. Which are have their specific martial arts styles, which is not are not based on Pac-Man Kung Fu, and which are also sometimes a little more exuberant, over the top, um, and you know stylish, uh, but always super interesting to fight against. Yeah, without without spoiling it for anyone, the the boss battles can be particularly sort of grandiose, and, and I think a really big encapsulation of of kind of the journey you've just taken from level to mm. level, and they're a lot of fun. And I'm excited to see how people <laughs> fare against some of them because they they are tough, but they're they're really yeah. exciting to learn and master. <laughs> how, um, how far did you go? Uh, until well, now? so I I'm up to the third uh, area. Cool. And uh, I also have been going back to try to lower my age count uh, yeah. level by level. So. How old are you at the beginning of the third area now? Um, well, I am in my third. I uh, high thirties, I think it was. That's good. That's at. good. Yeah, That's a, yeah. I pretty good. You're the in first good time I beat the first boss, I was at about I think forty-seven, and then I got him down to where I'm only turning twenty-one. So I, I was nice. very proud of that accomplishment. <laughs> nice. Very good. Um, but that aging account, uh, that aging mechanic, excuse me, in general, I think is a really, really interesting approach to uh, the way runs are set up in this game, the way you're able to progress through a run and then also start a new run. Um, obviously, as you were saying, and it, it's been a big part of what's been shown in the game is, you know, each time you die, you're able to come back, but you're a little bit older and that, that olding, uh, that aging process uh, sort of g- grows over time. You, you get older and older and, and that amount you go up by changes each time. Um, though you can fight a little bit against that. <laughs> Did the aging mechanic take a lot of fine-tuning to kind of get it right to be fair for the player? Was that something that was kind of figured out early? How, how did that come into play of the whole development of the game? No, we we did iterate quite a bit on that. Um, there was um, a number of versions uh, that were, um, you know, tested. And... Um, before we, you know, really, you know, all playing obviously around the concept of, you know, dying, reviving, and aging, but uh, we we tried um, a few different systems. I think the objective was both to give player that players that immediate fantasy of being a sort of unstoppable revenge machine. Uh, that you know, every time you die, you just get back up and you know, get back in the fight. Um, but at the same time, we didn't want players to rely too much on that and to be able to really brute force their way out of situations. And so basically we wanted, um, that if you make too many mistakes and make too many consecutive mistakes, um, you're, you're punished for that. Um, and uh, and that's where th- this system with the death counter we we introduce, in which basically the more you die, the faster you age. Um, 
that um as the moment where the pieces really um started to fit t- together um and it's uh i think it, it, it's it's a nice uh it's a nice balance and also uh as you mentioned uh, even though you you can never go back in time so you can ne- never get younger but that death counter i just mentioned you can lower it so um when you fight and defeat specific enemies uh your death counter instead of you know can can go down a notch and so uh uh, instead of maybe aging five years the next time you die, you'll you'll only age of four years uh, at that point. And um, yeah, it's uh, so it was really a balance between challenge we wanted to give while still having that very powerful fantasy um, that's also pretty accessible. Yeah, it is. Uh, th- there were definitely moments where I could sense my sort of I'm just kind of trying to, as you were saying, brute force my way through, and it, it wasn't working. It, it's not mm. the way to get through most of these fights, or the, you know, the vast majority, I would say. And uh, it was always very satisfying to come back from a death, take a breath, and then instantly knock down that counter with a takeout. Yeah. Uh, it's there. There is a satisfying loop to it, but you do really need to be paying attention, be involved in in the moment yeah. of the fight, which I really appreciate. Um, yeah, for sure. That that was the idea. And it, in terms of that progression as well, for for those, you, you sort of also have that per run progression that you can unlock uh, certain, I, I guess, buffs or or, or increased, yep. uh, you know, abilities or, or weapon stamina or uh, your your focus bar, which is another part of it as well. Uh, was that another way to just kind of give each level uh, more uh, variety to it to to give more choice to the player? How did how did that come into the mix? Yeah, there there is a variety factor uh, that comes in, into play, and so um, there is basically a, a shrines system in um, in the game. In a, when you so when you see a shrine and interact with it, depending on certain conditions based on your age, your total XP, your score, um, you can unlock certain perks, and um, and uh, as you if you you know go back to a previous level and play it again, you can change which perks you um, you unlock and will use for further run, for the runs. And basically, when you um, the, the save point you create at the beginning of each level uh, depends on the age you have. So when you say you reach thirty years old, you reach the third level at forty five, uh, and sort of try the second level again. And the next time you try the second level, you f- you reach the, th- the third level at the age of 35, then that will be the checkpoint that will be saved. And the bonuses you unlocked will be the bonuses you unlocked in that run. And um, and so sometimes you, you make a choice like, okay, now I'm really familiar with this boss. I know I can take him or her in, uh, in a few years' time. Um, and I've used the shortcuts to gain that mastery of that boss. Now maybe you're going to want to go through the whole level again, get these shrine bonuses, finish the boss, and create a safe point with a young age and additional bonuses. So there's sort of a trade-off when you use shortcuts, which is that um, um, when you use shortcuts in the levels, you don't have access to all these shrines bonuses uh, that are in the level. And so you got to go, you know, the full way round if you want to have the, all the all the bonuses. Yeah, I, I think there's a, a wonderful balance through all of it of of a risk reward 
sort of system, not just in the shrines, but kind of everything that you're doing. And yeah, there have definitely been runs where I'm like, well, maybe I, I know how to get through this area well enough. Maybe I should just take the long way so I can get more experience to get a better uh, ability at the shrine and, and be a little bit better prepared for the boss. There's the really nice sort of like trade off at the heart of it all. Um, I, I did cool. s- sort of want to talk uh, before we wrap up about one part of it. Obviously, uh, Sifu is coming to both PC and, and PlayStation, both on PS4 and PS5. And for PS5 players, uh, there's some really, really cool integration, at, at least from my experience of it, of the DualSense and the 3D audio of it that, that really kind of gets you into the world. Can you talk a little bit about how the team wanted to tackle those additional features for that version of the game? Yeah, well, th- there's, you know, actually... Um, um, a number of pretty cool features that came in with a PS5. Um, some of them are, you know, slightly external to the game. You get, you know, game help activities, um, which uh, which are accessible from the menus of the PS5 and gives you hints, gives you, uh, you know, additional objectives, etc., which is um, um, pretty interesting. And uh, but beyond that, there was, um, I think, yeah, 3D audio and haptic feedback um you know sounds etc uh that yeah as you said help you getting immersed because you know you when you're under the rain you you sort of feel that rain and um and so here again we iterated quite a bit until because you don't want that to become intrusive either uh but um they're pretty cool features and so we are really happy to play around with them yeah, it's it's been uh, really exciting to kind of feel and and even hear you know small things like the crackle of a fire as you you go by one in the level or you know yeah. obviously the the impacts of of each uh, hit or kick or or whatnot. There's there's a lot of uh, variety in that that I think you know for such a new version of of what we expect from controller feedback, the the team has really sort of nailed that aspect of it. Um. It's it's been a lot of fun and it's been really challenging. I guess you know for the, for those who may be jumping in, do you have any sort of beginner tips <laughs> before I let you go of, of just anything you you want people to keep in mind as they jump into Sifu? Yeah, um, I can give out a couple. Um, I think first of all, you need to master your defensive moves and especially the parry and the avoid, which are essential. And um, in succeeding in the game, and especially against bosses, but even uh, also during you know one versus many fights, you will need to be able to parry effectively, to avoid attacks effectively if you wanna if you wanna prevail. So I think that's one. Um, I think it's important also to to keep going in the game, and that sort of unique aging mechanic um, makes it that. You know, sometimes you can pass the first level, and you're you're gonna start the second level, and you're you're pretty old already. You know, you're above fifty uh, years of age, and it can feel like too much of a handicap to go to the end um, of the game with with that age. But uh, you really should keep going, and you know, go to the end of that life and uh, discover new areas improve yourself against enemy archetypes, unlock and maybe permanently unlock certain skills uh, before you actually start and you run. Um, so that would be one. And, uh, and the last one could be like to explore, find, uh, find the shortcuts, find the hidden weapons, find the shrines and, um, 
and that will um, help you. Um, uh, that should help you along your way. Yeah, I have. I, I, speaking to what you were saying, I've I've found it absolutely worth it on a few runs for for players who are interested in jumping in. Of you know, even if I knew, okay, I'm a little bit too old. I'm probably not going to clear the the boss of this level at this point. It is worth it to keep going to learn more about that level. To just learning so much about what you're about to take on can be a tremendous yeah. value on the next run and and really help for sure whittle for down sure. and 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 let you overcome the challenge. But it's been. A delight so far to you know to be able to learn <laughs> and try to overcome those challenges. Uh, I'm excited to keep progressing in the game, uh, and and I really appreciate you, Pierre, taking the time to speak with me about it. It's it's been a blast to play, and you know, congrats to the team on on such an awesome experience and and on the launch. Cool. I'll I'll pass it on. And uh, thanks a lot for uh, for these questions. It was uh, really interesting to answer them too. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us, and I'll throw back to the rest of the episode so you can probably hear more about how much we love Sifu. And we're back. Mark, thank you so much for being back with us. I was really hoping you would come back after that toss, but, you know, this will have to do for now. Uh, I know. We- my timing was terrible. I was like 30 <laughs> seconds later, I'd have been perfect. But, hey, your timing when you're speedrunning Mario 64, impeccable. Uh, before we wrap up, Mark, what's your thought about GTA 6? Kate, put 30 oh seconds on gosh. the clock. Are we Let's doing go. this? Uh, go, yeah. Go. <laughs> if, if I had my dream video game, it would be in the future. It would be Grand Theft Auto 2077. It would be a cyberpunk theme game, and they would blow cyberpunk out of the water. Now, that's somebody who loves cyberpunk, but I, I just I would love GTA to be futuristic. I think that'd be super awesome. Well, that's it. I hope we'll we'll be able to find out about it. <laughs> that was, go ahead. Uh, that was like a, a funky lukewarm Medina take. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't hot at all. That was a microwave <laughs> take. Yeah, um, I just well, want them to take. I just want them to take GTA out of the U.S. I want us to go back to like London, like they did. Like because oh. I believe if I remember right, the first one and two on the PS One yeah. when they were top down, it was in London, mm. if I remember right. So, and there's so many good locations that you could scout and use for gta 6 like give us something different maybe jonathan will play it i would know because i never played those first ones yeah i'm always in that mode of like and it's such a like tired setting now but i'm always in that like put it in san francisco right because that's you know where we're all from but it's like so it's just fun to see where you live kind of be represented but i every game's in san francisco now so that makes sense that it wouldn't go there yeah we'll we'll obviously learn more when they announce it uh surprise surprise but take two said there are more details about gta coming which is nice uh but yeah we'll we'll hopefully be talking about that game sometime before 2032 but uh in the meantime we as we were saying we'll have a lot to talk about uh in in the weeks to come it's going to be a very busy couple of months and then probably still be busy throughout the year who are we kidding it's going to just be a very busy year but it's a lot of fun stuff to talk about uh so mitchell and jada thank you for joining me for the whole show mark thanks for showing up um but uh we <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, thank problem. you. Thank no you problem. all so much for being here. Uh, before we go, uh, Mark, anything you want to tout? Oh, well, no, but like, did okay, did I, I didn't yet. I was whole... gonna, no, I was gonna let you you mention it. Oh, like what we're doing next week, yeah, yeah, yeah. So next week's show will be on Monday at midnight. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> I assume it's going live at midnight, right? That's our right. we so, so when we're recording. This one okay. we're recording is at midnight. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. Yeah, so we're doing our Horizon Forbidden West review discussion, right? Which it'll be spoiler-free, but uh, yeah. it's going to be a lot of fun. Everybody on this panel, and Mitchell won't be there, guest. but... 
don't I don't yeah, think a mystery guest. Sorry. But every, everybody on <laughs> this panel, including Mitchell, has <laughs> has played the game. So um, we're excited to share more. But that's basically all we're allowed to say is that we will be talking about Horizon on Monday. So have that'll be a fun episode. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Look forward to it. It feels like just yesterday we were doing our preview discussion. So man, here we I are know. for review discussion. I know. Uh, yeah. the, the old days uh, of two weeks ago. <laughs> uh, but yeah, look forward to that, please. Uh, should should be a big, long episode to discuss everything. And as Mark said, we'll keep it spoiler-free. Uh, we mm-hmm. obviously know people won't be playing until the 18th uh, and don't want to ruin the experience for people. Uh, but yeah, please look forward to that. Uh, Jada, anything on your end that you want to shout out? I do want to commend you on, as always, doing an awesome job with the uh, First Fridays that we're doing. Uh, I know, Mark, you have history with those in the office when they used right. to be a thing that we toured around. And, and Jada, you've yeah. adapted them so well for, for sort of our at-home era. Um, and if people yeah. missed this one, they should wait for next month. But anything else you want to shout out? Yeah, uh, yeah. First Friday, so it's on Instagram for anybody who missed it. Um, the story might still be up. I doubt it, but uh, you can check our Instagram and see if it's there. Um, but yeah, first Friday of every month, submit your questions after we post the prompt, and we'll respond to as many of those as possible. You usually get to anywhere between 20 to 30 questions uh, just to keep the story manageable for anybody who's watching it afterwards. I don't think anybody wants to sit through a 100-slide story. Uh, but other than that, uh, probably going to be doing a Twitter space tomorrow. Uh, so I'll have official announcement going out on Twitter if it ends up happening. Uh, but looks like topic is going to be Dying Light or Sifu. And I think my food is here. So, yeah, doorbells. <laughs> perfect, um, sound <laughs> perfect sound effect. That's where I was this whole time. That, I was getting, just getting food. It's lunchtime for us. <laughs> I was uh, like, I need lunch. I'm at it. <laughs> but yeah, so I uh, might be doing a Twitter space tomorrow on the IGN Twitter account uh, for Dying Light versus Sifu, which is right awesome. for you. Um, so yeah, and we might have Mitchell on. I haven't talked to him about it yet, but uh, now he knows. This is news to me. Well, exactly. <laughs> uh, Mitchell, anything you want to shout out? Obviously, people should look forward to you being on the IG, the Twitter Spaces. Yep. But anything else? Uh, um, I think earlier in the episode, I said that it could not be understated that the amount of money that Call of Duty makes. Uh, I, it's been bothering me all, the whole time. I meant to say cannot be overstated. There you uh, go. So just want to make it. sure that people knew. That uh, I I apologize for my error. Uh, there's no, gonna my, be my seafood- there's gonna be one comment, and then they're gonna listen to the full show and be like, "I respect it." Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> Got to cut that comment off right right at the start. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, check out my seafood review. Um, I gave it a nine. Uh, really, really love that game. And uh, yeah, I think I think that's all that I can I can talk about right now. Cool. Well, thank you again so much for joining me, uh, all of you, for this episode. Uh, you can find all of us on Twitter. I'm at JM Dornbush. Mark is at Mark underscore Medina. Jada is at Jada underscore Rena. And Mitchell is at Jurassic Rabbit. Uh, thank you all so much for joining me for a very fun episode. Thank you again to Kate behind the scenes for making this show happen. And thank you to everyone out there for listening and watching. We hope you're doing well and we hope you're staying safe. And as always, beyond. 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 IGN FanFest, a massive event celebrating the biggest names in games and entertainment. And it's all powered by you, the fans. Join us for exclusive new looks and deep dives on the most exciting things you can't wait for this year. It's got goosebumps. Brand new gameplay, sneak peeks, stars, and your biggest questions answered. IGN FanFest kicks off on February 19th at 11 a.m. Pacific, so don't miss a second of it.